So, it's another walking dollop. I've got a new route. You might hear some bleating sheep and some, maybe a bit of bird call. I mean, hopefully there'll be more to look forward to than just bleating sheep and birds. Oh, brilliant, there's going to be some bleating sheep. I mean, we'll definitely keep listening, David. But I just mean, hopefully, you'll have to be some nice, a nice backdrop, audio backdrop, to the hilarity that I have not got in store for you, but no doubt will just spontaneously come as it so often does in these things. Uh, have I failed you yet? All right, well, I mean, you're not very often though. Yeah? Fair enough. It is a little bit more woodlandy, this particular route. It won't involve me worrying the neighbours walking back and forth, round and round the block. So yeah, it's a bit more of a out in the sticks woodland area. I mean, it is 10 o'clock at night. There is a chance that I might get mugged. And I nearly wasn't gonna go out, because I thought, well, it's a bit remote. There is a chance I could get mugged, and I thought, well, that's probably a good reason not to go out. And then I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, as long as he didn't take my recorder, pretty brilliant. I mean, you know, I mean, I'd like to think that even if I was getting mugged, I would edit the audio in such a way that I'd leave a bit of a cliffhanger. Is David, you know, do I survive this? Will I fight back? What will happen? I'll leave a bit of a cliffhanger. Maybe I could bribe the mugger. Maybe I could say, look, I haven't got any money on me right now, but I will happily give you some money. I'll give you 50 quid if you'll just eke this out a little bit. Can we act it out? He's like, well, what? What do you mean? Oh, well, you know, like, you could fight. We could fight, have a little bit of a fight and stuff. You know, I could have a bit of an interview with you, maybe, get into, the, get into your psyche. You know, why are you a mugger? Why are you doing this? You know, what, what, what happened in your child? I want nothing happened in my child. I just want you, I want your money, mate. That's, I want your money for drugs. I'm like, yeah, there must have been something that happened in your childhood. Now, don't worry if there, there wasn't. If you can't think of anything, I'll, I'll write you a script. We'll sort this out. And, I'm, and, I, and I'll be true to my word. Because chances are the mugger will be thinking, no, no, this is... Well, I've had that. I've heard this before. People have tried this trick on me before to, to get out of being mugged. I'm not falling for that one again, David. I, I don't know how you know my name. It's quite impressive. Well, I saw you on Springwatch, David. And then I started listening to your dollops, David. I know what time you normally go out on your walks, because you tell us, about 10 o'clock. I know where you go, because I can hear your sat-nav telling you which way to turn. And I thought, right, this is the perfect opportunity for a mugging. I've got to hand it to you. You're a, you're a good mugger. Yes, you, you're right, David. You do have to hand it to me. Because if you don't, I'm going to beat you up. I see what you've done there. You've, you've, you've done a bit of a play on words on the old, got to hand it to you. Very, very good. Yeah, you can use that for your dollop if you want. Oh, I will. I will. Thank you very much. Anyway, enough of the niceties. Give me your money. So there you go. Bit of a drama for you there. Don't worry. If you got, if you got sucked into the drama there and thought, my God, this, this is unbelievable. David's being mugged. It wasn't. It was me doing, it was me just doing all that. There's nobody else here. I know it was pretty convincing and compelling stuff, but uh, no, it was just me doing all that. Don't worry. Anyway, I know what you're thinking. This is all very well and good, David. And yes, I suppose I am enjoying it, but I haven't heard any bleating sheep yet. Well, don't worry there. We're not quite at that bit yet. So we went to Brussels. The festival wasn't in Brussels, but on the Sunday we went to Brussels. We saw some of the highlights. The pissing, uh, there's a pissing boy. I assume you're aware of the pissing boy of Belgium. It's the fountain. They're very proud of their pissing boy. Like, they've got every chocolate shop that you go into, there's pissing boys. 
By which I mean there is the pissing boy, the statue, the figurine of the pissing boy made into chocolate. I'm not suggesting there's just pissing boys all over the place. Although, actually, one other thing I noticed, there were public urinals outside. And it wasn't really like a cordoned off area. It was just like in the ground, like people were pissing in the urinals outside in full view of everyone. And people just weren't bothered. Like, there was this woman just having a chat to one of the men while he was having a piss in the urinal. I don't know whether she knew him beforehand or if they just met there. And then, I mean, it's quite an interesting place to meet. You know, maybe she was impressed by his prowess, let's just say, and thought, this is the man for me, and got chatting. I'm in for a good night to forget with this one. I don't know if they'd just met and they were flirting with each other. I mean, they seemed to be getting on quite well. They were sort of laughing and joking. They might have just met, I don't know. As I say, it's a strange place for two people who've just met to meet. I have two friends who met in a toilet and uh, fell for each other. And they're in a very happy relationship now. And yeah, just because of that first initial meeting in the toilet. And uh, yeah, apparently they say it was uh, love at first shite. Because they met in a toilet. So that's a bit of a joke. That. Ah! Sorry, that was a bit of a shit joke, wasn't it? Ah, ah. Don't be too harsh on me. At least you got to hear some bleating sheep, eh? But they do like their pissing boys in uh, Belgium. There was chocolate made out of pissing boys. Or pissing, sorry, pissing boys made out of chocolate. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop 188, in which we get a unique insight into the love life of a font. I got an email today from the PR and marketing person at Towersy Festival, which we're playing on Monday the 29th of August. The email explained that she is putting together a festival programme and thought that it would be fun to include some, in quotes, quirky bits from the performers, close quotes. Well, I thought this was rather forward and a bit much, to be honest. I mean, I don't know how the other performers feel about this, but I'm not going to have my quirky bits included in their programme, not unless they pay me good money, and not unless I can vet the photo before it went in. But when I emailed them back, telling them this, they explained that by quirky bits, they were simply meaning something along the lines of a joke, a funny story, or a favourite recipe, or a poem. To be honest, I was a tad disappointed. I mean, I could have done with the money. Now, the problem is, as you'll know if you're a regular dollop listener, I'm not really what I think you could describe as a particularly quirky person. I mean, I'm normally pretty straight-laced, but I've had a little think, and I've come up with something. So, Here's a joke revolving around a conversation between two fonts, as in computer fonts, rather than church fonts. Sorry if you heard the word fonts there and got all excited at the prospect of a joke about baptism or holy water, only to have your hopes dashed when you realise that it's going to be a joke about computer fonts. No, not another bloody joke about computer fonts. I'll have no doubt already heard it, but no, you won't have heard this one, because I've made it up all by myself. So, here we go. Oh, before we get this joke underway, I've then put in some instructions for the reader of the dollop, but uh, you won't need these. I've written, now before this joke gets underway, in order to help you read this joke properly, I will put certain words in block capitals. This is an indication for you to emphasise those words, perhaps even pausing a little bit before delivering it. This will help the joke flow better and have more coherence, but you're fine, because you're listening to me delivering it. So you're in the hands of an expert, you're in the hands of the master, of the joke's creator. So fear not, I shall lift it off the page. But the people reading this dollop won't have the benefit of that, so I'm just 
giving them some instructions there to help the joke along. I'm sure you'll agree that the best jokes are the ones where you get instructions beforehand about how to best enjoy the joke. I think Christmas crackers would be much improved if they gave instructions to the joke's deliverer about how to best deliver the joke. Okay, so anyway, now, here's the joke. This is a conversation between two fonts. Er, uh, excuse me, Ariel, uh, um... If I may be so bold, I'm a bit nervous about this. Hang on, let me calm down. I need to centre myself. Uh, Ariel, I find you very attractive. Would you like to go on a date with me? Maybe hang out at the space bar? Oh, uh, well, I'm I'm sorry. I, I mean, I think you're a great character. No, it's it's okay. You don't have to justify yourself, Ariel. It's, it's fine, I, I understand. No, no, but, but really, I think you're a great character. It's just you're not really my... Type. Fair enough, but this has been playing on my mind and I really had to ASCII. ASCII, A-S-C-I-I, is a type of computer code which is essentially the building blocks of font creation and character encoding. I mean, ideally I wouldn't have had to explain that. It tempers the immediacy of your reaction and somewhat dilutes the hilarity of the joke if you have to explain it. But, you know, ideally you'd have done your research beforehand. You'd have already had a good grasp of font knowledge. You'd be a knowledge of all fonts. You know, I mean, it's my fault. Maybe I should have given you some pre-joke reading material so you could swat up before I started telling you this joke and then you'd get the most from the joke. But never, never mind. I mean, there's been plenty of hilarity so far anyway, hasn't there? So, so you know, it's fine. Let's get, let's get back to the joke. It's just, I hoped that you might be my Miss Wright. Right is spelled W-R-I-T-E. I mean, it would work R-I-G-H-T as well, as in right-aligned. We've already had the centre joke, but I think W-R-I-T-E makes the point better. It works better on the written version, I think. That. As you can tell, a lot of thought has gone into this. Hilarious jokes like this take time and effort to master. I mean, this took me at least 20 minutes. What? You're Miss Right? Really? I find that idea rather comic. As in, sans. Comic sans. Oh, Ariel! I'd do anything for you. I'd even take a bullet for you, Ariel. Life without you would be hell. Vetica. It's important, by the way, if you're retelling this joke, to leave the pause there. You can't just say, life without you will be hell, Vetica. You know, it's important. And I've explained this in the written version. It's important there, if you're retelling this joke to your friends, which I'm sure you will, because it's amazingly funny, then to heighten the comedy, you really need to go, life without you will be hell, you need to pause, Vetica. You can pause before the hell, if you want. Life without you would be hell, Vetica. So you see, so it's important that you don't just rush ahead, because, you know, the secret of comedy is timing. I'm sure you'll agree here. Huh? You've got to take the right amount of time to tell the joke. Anyway, back to the joke, sorry. <clears throat> Please, Ariel, don't leave me high and dry. High is an East Asian Gothic type face. It, it might be pronounced hey, I don't know. It's H-E-I. That's how it's spelt. But look, for the purposes of this, let's just pronounce it as hi, shall we? I mean, I could if it isn't, I could always say, Hey, Ariel! Couldn't I? So, you know, either way, if I find out that it's actually not pronounced hi, then I've got the comedy skills to be able to improvise and sort of make something out, out of that in the future. So it's, it's the joke doesn't rest on that, really, so it's not a, not a problem. Oh, for goodness sake! Look, I'm not interested! Full stop! How many times? As in, New Roman, obviously. So there you go, that's what I've emailed her for the programme. I'm a little bit worried that it's not quite quirky enough for her, but, you know, I did my best. I also sent her a photo of my genitals and an invoice, just in case she changes her mind.
After my encounter with the homeless man in Huddersfield, which I told you about in Dollop 181, I was approached by another homeless person in Sheffield later that same day. I heard them asking people for money before he came to me, and no one seemed to be responding positively. Unlike the man in Huddersfield, this man's story remained constant and didn't change with every new person that he met. I was proud of my hometown of Sheffield for sporting a better class of beggar than those of Huddersfield. If I gave the Huddersfield man some money and he can't even stick to a plausible story about why he wants the money, then surely I would have to give something to this seemingly more genuine man. So I also gave him a pound. He thanked me and went on his way. A minute later, I was approached by another man who told me that he was homeless and asked me if I could spare any change. What was going on? Is there a homeless network where fellow homeless people tip others off about good prospective givers? I didn't even hear this one ask anyone else before me. It's as if he just saw me and went straight for me, as if he knew who I was. Perhaps the man at Huddersfield had alerted the homeless community of Sheffield. Hello? Sheffield? Yeah, this is John from Huddersfield. Yeah, I've got a tip-off for you. Uh, There's a blind man with blonde hair and blue eyes heading in your direction. He's uh, just got on the train, so he should be with you in just over an hour at the train station. All right. Oh, and a word to the wise. Uh, Make sure you get your story straight beforehand. I nearly botched it. It seems as if his going rate is a pound, although you might get more if you get your story straight first. This man also got a pound. What the hell, I thought. I'm a folk singer, for goodness sake. I can obviously afford it. He thanked me, and we went our separate ways. A couple of minutes later, I got lost while trying to find the bus stop, and I was stopped by a man who asked me if I needed some help. I told him where I was trying to get to, and he offered to walk me there. As we walked, we got chatting. I asked him what he was up to today, and he told me that he wasn't really up to much because he was currently living on the streets. Damn! I'd fallen into his trap. He'd obviously been tipped off by Huddersfield and possibly also his homeless friends of Sheffield, and had deliberately offered to help me, knowing that I'd surely have to give him money, perhaps counting on the fact that I might give him even more than a pound if he did something for me in return. Each homeless person that I was meeting today was getting progressively more adept. I reached into my bag and pulled out a pound, which I gave to him. He thanked me, and then informed me that he was lost, and he didn't actually know where he was, so he wasn't sure how much help he would be. Then he walked off, leaving me more lost than I was before he'd came along. I stood there for a few seconds, trying to decide how I felt, wrestling with emotions. I felt a mix of feelings. I felt sympathy for the man, assuming that of course that he was really homeless, but I also felt a bit angry that he had taken advantage of my situation, seemingly just to guilt trip me into giving him some money, which, when I'd given it to him, he buggered off to leave me to fend for myself. My annoyance began to build, usurping my feelings of sympathy and goodwill. I considered the first homeless man, who didn't seem to really be homeless, with his changing reasons for needing money. My frustration caused me to start doubting the authenticity of the first Sheffield homeless man, and I began to feel even more irked. After all, in a sea of people refusing to give any of these people money, I had now given money to four homeless people, the first of which had lied to me and had not thanked me, and the last had led me down some alley, making me completely lost. Are you lost, mate? Where are you trying to get to, mate? A man approached me. I told him where I was trying to head, and the man took my arm, and we began to walk. I thanked him for his help, and then, for want of anything else to say, and thinking that it might do me some good to get what had just happened off my chest, I said, You're not homeless, are you? It was a sort of jocular conversation opener. Basically, he would say no, I'd have piqued his curiosity about why I was asking, and it would mean that I could vent my spleen about what had just happened. Except, my plan backfired. Uh, Yes, I I am, mate. I am. Bloody hell. 
This is getting ridiculous. What was I going to do? I asked as a kind of joke in order to facilitate a conversation topic, but now I'd inadvertently put my foot in it. I'd have to give him some money. Surely, I began to reach into my bag, but then I stopped. What if this man was part of the homeless network and had received tip-offs from the previous three homeless men, including the last one about the pretend-to-help-the-blind-man scam? If I gave him money, then he would probably just toddle off, tip off another homeless man, and then it would happen all over again. When would it end? My hand remained poised at my bag while I deliberated on my course of action. I decided that I wouldn't give him money until he got me to the bus stop. And then, if he got me there, I'd give him some money before getting on the bus and leaving this madness behind. Otherwise, I might never get home, and I would end up broke after spending days being approached by homeless men offering assistance, only to disappear as soon as I gave them money. Ironically, all of this would result in me having no money myself, and therefore having to live on the streets and relying on the money-making tactics that I'd picked up from all the homeless men that I'd met over the last few days who got me into this mess. Except, I'd be a bit useless helping blind people find their way to the bus stop. I shuddered at the thought of what was surely about to happen if I didn't take control. I'd wait until we got to the bus stop before I gave him money. Yes, the decision had been made. Except I realised that as soon as he'd said that he was homeless, I immediately halted my walk, put my hand in my bag, and we were both now just standing there while I had my hand in my bag, clearly deliberating about whether to give him money or not. It would be too awkward to pull my hand out of the bag and not give him anything. Damn! I pulled a pound out and gave it to him. But the man refused it. No, 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 it's fine, mate. You've, you've already given me a quid. I saw you ten minutes ago. It was the first man, the first man of Sheffield, who'd asked for money at the train station. I apologised for not realising that it was him. He said that he thought it was a bit weird when I said, you're not homeless, are you? He assumed that I'd decided for some reason to challenge him about his homelessness, when, in fact, I had no idea it was the same person. I felt as if I really needed to explain why I'd asked him whether he was homeless, and so I told him about the man who'd offered to help me get to the bus stop, but then, as soon as I gave him some money, toddled off. We then had a bit of a laugh about our misunderstanding. He took hold of my arm again, and we began to walk. But then, a man jogged up to us. Sorry, mate, that took longer than I thought but uh, I've been given directions for someone now so I know where to go. It was the man from earlier. It turned out that he hadn't buggered off, but had actually just gone to ask someone for directions. Suddenly, everything felt good again, and I began to feel a restored sense of faith in humanity. I introduced the two men to each other, and the three of us walked to the bus stop together, chatting. The two men seemed to be getting on really well, and as they chatted with each other, I began to daydream about how they might become best friends, and perhaps then they would help each other to get off the streets, maybe moving into a flat together. Maybe they would be each other's best men and godfathers to their respective children. I realised just how all over the place my emotions were today. A minute ago, I was really angry at the homeless people that I'd met, thinking that they'd been duplicitous. And now, I was getting all excited about the prospect of a fairy tale scenario involving these two homeless men, in which they both live happily ever after. I was so overcome with emotion that I gave the pair a £20 note. They accepted it, then shouted, So long, sucker! And then walked away laughing, leaving me even more lost than I was before. No, don't worry, that last bit didn't happen. They got me to the bus stop, and I got the bus home, feeling as if I had learned a valuable life lesson. I hope that you have also learnt a valuable lesson by listening to this, even if that thing that you've learnt is simply never to waste your time listening to one of these podcasts again.
A few nights ago, the young'un's van was broken into. They'd smashed a window. However, upon inspection, it seemed that the only thing that had been taken was a box, which was full of young'un CDs. This seems like a very strange thing to steal. I mean, they broke into the van, and they were presented with two guitars, worth over a thousand pounds, an accordion, worth over two thousand, and a piano, worth over a thousand. And the glove compartment was a sat-nav and a fifty-pound note. Yet, none of that was taken. This burglar presumably saw all of that, yet, for some inexplicable reason, decided just to take a gamble on the mystery box. Like he was playing some sort of game show. Well, you've got the guitar, you've got the accordion, you've got the expensive stage piano. You could take any of that, or you could go for the mystery box. You know, I think I'm going to go for the mystery box. I mean, I assume it was a mystery box. I'm assuming that they didn't open it, see all the young'un CDs, and then think... Oh, I've struck the jackpot. There must be at least 50 CDs in here. Oh, my goodness. It just gets better and better. They're all young'un CDs. This is incredible. Let's have a look. Oh, yes. Fantastic. There's another man's ground. Never forget. And what's this? Oh, brilliant. And even when our grandfathers said no. Incredible. That's all three albums in one box. I can hardly believe my luck. Well, I best dash. I don't want to risk getting caught and losing this amazing bounty. I'm assuming that the burglar saw the box, realised that it was portable and inconspicuous enough to get away with, and decided to just take a gamble on the fact that it might contain money or something of value. Just imagine his disappointment when he opened it, his hands trembling at the prospect of what wealth might be revealed, only to see 50 CDs by a band that he's probably never heard of before. I wonder if he actually listens to any of the albums. Just out of curiosity. With a bit of luck, he might give our albums a play, really love the music, feel guilty for breaking into our van and stealing our CDs, and make amends by buying loads of tickets for him and his friends, thus recouping us for our financial loss. Maybe this should be my next dollop-based detective project. Perhaps there are some clues left in the van. I'll have a scout round and see what I can find. I'll also keep checking eBay to see whether someone has put a load of our albums on sale for a knockoff price. Presumably, if this does happen, then we'll have our man. I say man. I apologise for being very unfeminist here, assuming that the burglar is a man. Sorry, I'm ashamed of my sexist attitude, and I hope that I haven't offended anyone with my sexist assumptions. Just to clarify, women can be dense, thieving scum too. However, I appreciate that there's still a long way to go for female burglars to be properly recognised and accepted in the same way that men are. There's a lot of inequalities for female burglars. I'm also aware of the difficulties that women burglars have in order to progress up the career ladder. And I encourage all aspiring female burglars to ignore the societal stigmas and give that career ladder a bloody good climb, perhaps stopping periodically in order to access an open upstairs window. I encourage all aspiring female burglars to ignore the glass ceiling, to smash right through that glass ceiling, thus giving you access to whatever might be of value in the loft. So, what a week it's been dollop-wise. A fictional mugger and a real-life burglar. What next? We are so lucky to be doing something that results in us making friends with people throughout Britain and the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously I know Britain is in the world. We've not had a referendum about that yet, although I dread to think what the result might be if we did. It already feels like we're on another planet sometimes. Folk music has brought us into contact with so many incredible people. I remember one particular time when I was struck by the magnificent absurdity of our lives. We were walking through a small town in the Netherlands, which plays host to a shanty festival that we'd done for the last few years. As we walked through this little Dutch town, we were constantly bumping into people that we recognised and who recognised us. People from all over Europe who were also performing at the festival and who had become friends over the years. We were also frequently stopped by people who were local to the town and wanted 
wanted to say hello because they recognised us from previous years. I've lived in Hartlepool for the majority of my life, but I can easily walk through the town without meeting someone that I know. But here we were in a town in Holland, being constantly approached by people. Nowadays, folk festivals in Britain are like this too. It's difficult for us to get anywhere on time at a folk festival because we are constantly being stopped by people who are either friends or fans who just want to chat and say hello. We're late for so many sound checks because of this. Obviously, we can't really use this as an excuse for our lateness. I mean, it's probably not the wisest thing when you arrive at a sound check late to greet the harassed sound team with the excuse that your lateness is down to being stopped to chat by hordes of fans. It may be true, but the idea of an apology is to show a modicum of humility, and this excuse doesn't really help in that regard. Sorry for keeping you all waiting, guys, but uh, we're just so damn popular. So we normally just awkwardly apologise without giving an excuse. However, if there are any folk festival sound engineers listening to this, then all... I hope the sound's good enough for you. Are you thinking, oh, get closer to the microphone, David? No, he's using the wrong EQ setting. Oh, the compression's a little bit off. Yeah, he hasn't acoustically absorbed the room properly. I think he's got his pop shield at the wrong angle. But anyway, regardless of that, if there are any sound engineers listening to this, then honestly, you don't understand what it's like. You might feel put out by us turning up late to our sound check, but you should try taking a walk in our shoes. And then you'd soon find that your walk is periodically halted by people wanting to chat. And then you'd understand. Two semicolons in that sentence. I don't think that was particularly grammatically correct. If there were people reading that now, they, they get to this point, they've got two semicolons in one sentence. Did you really know that? You could have put a dash there. You could have put a, a comma, surely, or put it in brackets. You didn't need to do two semicolons, a bit much. Well, I didn't really need to point that out to you, did I? I could, I could have gone back and corrected it on the written version. You'd have never known. And now I've drawn lights to my grammatical fallibility. Oh, what an idiot I am. <laughs> anyway, most of the contact we have with a lot of these people is just very brief chats because we're trying to get somewhere and we're also running late. Michael and Sean are able to see someone, know who they are, say hello, maybe have a bit of a relevant chat to that specific person or group of people and then move on. But for me, not being able to see, it's a complete cavalcade of confusion. Ah, oh, yes. I made up for it with the alliteration there. Two semicolons, maybe. You might think that was a bit over the top, but then cavalcade of complete confusion? Thank you very much. What normally happens is that someone will stop us, Sean and Michael will say hello, there'll be a bit of a chat, and then we'll move on, which normally coincides with me having just worked out who the person is. But it's too late to engage in conversation because we've moved on to the next person, and everyone probably just assumes, of course, that I'm really rude or uninterested. And so it goes, sometimes for a whole hour, a whole hour of meeting people, trying desperately to work out who they are, and then, just as I've racked my brains and pieced together the clues revealed who it is, they've gone, and we're on to someone else. In fairness to Sean and Michael, they do try and tell me who people are, but often they don't know their name, but just know who they are in terms of where we met them and how we know them, which is enough to engage in conversation. But Sean and Michael don't want to reveal to the other person that they don't know their name, and so they can't really, in earshot of that person, start saying to me, it's the uh, really drunk bloke, you know, the one that we met in Huddersfield in 2014, he told us an anecdote about a goldfish. Incidentally, there is no really drunk man from Huddersfield who told us an anecdote about a goldfish. I just made that up as an example. I'm not sure why goldfish was the first thing that came into my mind. Any psychologist listening to this, feel free to interpret and leave your conclusions in the comment on this blog. 
But don't go all Freudian on me and tell me that it means that I want to have sex with my mother because that is completely ridiculous and untrue. I mean, my mother is dead. If she was still alive, then yeah, fair enough. Might be onto something. Oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to make a serious point about my uh, social awkwardness and hang-ups, wasn't I? And now I've ended up talking about incest. The other confusing element is because we're a band who've performed for years at folk festivals, we are known by lots of people who we've never actually met before. And the problem is that sometimes we are walking around the festival constantly being stopped by friends and acquaintances and there is a lot of hugging going on and I often don't know who the person is but I don't want people to think I'm being rude and reclusive and so I just have to join in with all this embracing even if I have no idea who the person is but because I don't know who the person is that I'm speaking to I'm not really sure on the appropriate level of enthusiasm to give them and it's not as if I can always take a lead from Sean or Michael because there are so many people that I don't know who they've hugged or who they've just shaken the hand of. So often I'm prone to getting confused and I assume that a person who's just said hello to me is an old friend when actually we've never met before and they're just someone who knows who we are because they watched our gig. So if you've ever been to one of our gigs, came up just to say hello and ended up getting a massive enthusiastic hug from me, then you know why. Oh, don't know if you heard that, but someone just groaned next door. Don't think it was a sexy groan, more like, ow, I've stubbed my foot, kind of a groan, but... To be honest, when I have sex, that's generally how the women groan anyway, in that kind of how I've stubbed my foot where you probably didn't hear the uh, the next door neighbour groan. And so it just sounds ridiculous that I've stopped. I'm doing a lot of stopping today, aren't I? Let me know if you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy my excursions. I like to think we're a part of a little club that the readers don't get. To avoid this common embarrassment... What common embarrassment, Dave? We can't remember what the common embarrassment is because you've uh, talked for so long on a different subject. I'm talking about accidentally hugging someone who I don't actually know. To avoid this common embarrassment, the three of us have tried out a solution whereby if we know the person really well and it's appropriate to go in for the hug, then Sean and Michael will greet that person with a hi. But if it's someone that we don't know at all and thus the appropriate response would just be a handshake, then they say hello. The trouble is that often they forget. So there are still many times when I've heard one of them say hi to the person and then that's caused me to enthusiastically pounce upon them and effusively embrace them. Often, another thing which can happen is that I'll notice Michael and Sean hugging someone and then I'll see that person approach me, I'll give them a massive hug and then start chatting to them really enthusiastically only to realise that my lack of vision has resulted in me getting the wrong person and I've ended up hugging someone completely different who has never even met me before and actually has no idea who I am. This might be fine if it was someone I wanted to be intimately involved with but Sod's law always seems to prevail and I always end up pouncing on 80-year-old men and I'm not interested in 80 year old men i mean 70 year old men on the other hand oh, now we're talking although i'm not sure who's talking if i know you whether you're expecting a handshake or a hug oh what the hell i'm coming in for the hug break in news update as the name of today's dollop suggests, I have an update regarding our van break-in, as talked about in dollop 190. The young'un's van was broken into, and the burglars chose to ignore the instruments, the sat-nav, and the £50 note, and instead took a gamble on the mystery box, which, unfortunately for him or her, was full of young'un CDs. Thank you to Dollop Regular. We're over halfway through this project, and I still haven't got a collective name for Dollop listeners and readers. Michael Wackington, who I have appointed head of the David's Daily Digital Dollop Detective Agency's Cyber 
department. He has been checking eBay in case the burglar decided to sell the stolen CDs online. He writes, No suspicious activity. However, I was amazed at the range of prices that the CDs were on sale for. For instance, the Never Forget CD is on sale from £8.68 to a high of £13.45, a massive range of £4.59, over 50%. Wow! And there was I thinking that eBay would exhibit the characteristics of a free market and prices would coalesce around the most competitive price. If the woman or man who stole your CDs does start offloading them, I expect the price to plummet. I shall track the prices in the next few days and report any unusual trading patterns. Thank you, Michael. Excellent work. And I shall keep you on retainer in case the Daily Dollop Detective Agency needs your services once again. However, on this occasion, the mystery is solved. Or, at least as I say, half solved. But I'll come to that soon. I'm building suspense here, because that's the kind of skilled writer that you're dealing with here. Yes, you're hooked, aren't you? Unless you read the young'un's Facebook status earlier in the day, in which case you'll already know the outcome. And you'll be wishing that I'd therefore move on to writing about something else more interesting, like revisiting the subject of yesterday's dollop about me having sex with my dead mother. You know, I thought David had reached his dollop zenith with his kettle material, but then he managed to take it to a whole new level of genius with the incest stuff. Absolutely brilliant. I find it odd that the albums are on sale on eBay for £13.45, bearing in mind that you can buy it from us for £10 and actually give some money to the people who made the album. Who would choose to buy an album for more money and deliberately rip off the artist in the process? Perhaps the eBay seller is catering for a very special niche market comprising people who like an artist's music but don't like the artists on a personal level and therefore don't want to support the artist financially and are happy to pay a premium in order to get their music without giving the people who made the music any money. I can see how this might work with someone who wanted to buy a Gary Glitter album, perhaps really wanting to listen to his music, not sure why, but but not really wanting to give any money to a paedophile. But I'm not sure why this would apply to our band. I mean, that rumour about Michael was just a rumour, it was quashed pretty instantly. I am tempted to contact the eBay seller and try and get their logic for selling an album for a higher price than the artist is selling it for. So, we got a message on Facebook last night detailing the whereabouts of our stolen box. The message was from James at the music shop Elegance Music in Sheffield, who found the box dumped outside his shop. The burglar had seemingly got a little way down the street, opened the box, saw the disappointing contents and then dumped it in the street. I assume it was a coincidence that they left it outside a music shop, unless the burglar happened to be a fan of the young'uns, and upon discovering that he'd broken into our van and stolen our box, felt guilty and decided to try and make amends by leaving the box outside somewhere where a music fan might discover it and then get in contact with us. Unless, of course, the burglar was James from Elegance Music, who pretended that he'd found the CDs outside his shop, knowing that it was likely to give them some free positive publicity for his shop, assuming that we would mention it on Facebook. Also, we gave him a couple of free CDs and a bottle of wine in order to say thanks. Maybe he was counting on this too. Come to think of it, the music shop is next door to Sean's local garage, which is where he got the van window fixed. Maybe James and the owner of the garage are in on this together. James's shop would get some free publicity and the garage would get paid for fixing the window. My goodness, I think I might be onto something here. Maybe James's initial plan was to also steal the instruments, knowing that he could then make even more money from us because he'd have to buy some new instruments to replace the stolen ones. Maybe he intended to steal the instruments as well as the CD box and then get 
in contact with us to say that he'd found our box. Obviously, this would ingratiate him to us. We'd then inquire as to whether there were also any instruments that had been dumped outside, but he'd of course answer with no. We'd obviously need to buy new instruments, and James would kindly offer to supply us with replacement instruments at a discount price by way of a commiserative gesture. We would feel so grateful for his help with the CD box and his kindness regarding the discount that we would naturally buy the new musical instruments from his shop. He'd ask us exactly what instruments had been stolen, and when we told him, he'd say, well, you know, it just so happens we have those exact same instruments stocked in our shop. He would then sell our own instruments back to us, and we'd be so grateful for his generosity that we'd give him even more free publicity. Maybe this was the original plan, but then he got a bit worried and decided just to steal the CDs, and thus bag the free wine and the free CDs and the free publicity, which, let's face it, is still a pretty good deal, and a lot less risky for James. My goodness, I think I've cracked it. In all likelihood, James is listening to this dollop, presumably because he knows that I'm going to give him some free publicity. But now, he'll be quaking in his boots. Boots that he's probably stolen from some van somewhere in another one of his dastardly criminal escapades. I'm on to you, James. I expect Michael Wackington will be paying you a visit before too long in order to do some sniffing around. So be careful what you say, James, because we're on to you, my friend. We're on to you. We're on a walk in Sheffield. Probably the last walk for at least three weeks. As tomorrow, I leave the house, get to London, and then we spend three weeks in Canada. Oh, listen to that. You hear that? That's the sound. On my right, a dog. We've always heard a dog on the dollar before. That's nothing exciting, but... On my left, it's going away now, but on the left, the sounds of a horse. Can you hear the horse? It's the sound of a galloping horse there. I mean, there might be someone listening, going, nah, what? That? It's not a gallop. That's a canter. Do you not, can you not tell the difference between a gallop and a canter, David? Mavis Crumble commented on my last Sheffield walking dollop to say that I promised the sound of bleating sheep, but I didn't provide that. But I did, it was just in the background. It's just the sheep weren't bleating particularly loudly. But if we do hear bleating sheep today, then I promise I will stop. I'll get as close to the sheep as I can. Auditorially, I mean. I mean, in an audio sense. Not, not any more than that. If you think it, oh, yes, now this is my kind of dollop. Oh, you get close to that sheep, David. Oh, yeah, I just mean in terms of I'll get close to the sheep so that you can hear it bleating. But, uh, yeah, the sheep were bleating on that dollop, but they just weren't bleating very loudly. It was very lacklustre. I would say it was a pretty woolly performance from the sheep. <laughs> oh, do you hear some sheep? Here we go. This is for you, Mavis. Sounded like that sheep said bye. Bye. From me, David Eagle, bye. And from the sheep, no, 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 you've got to do it properly. You've got to wait. From me, David Eagle, it's bye. And from the sheep, it's... Thank you. That was a very good from the sheep. I didn't even have to edit that. You're probably thinking, oh, he, he edited that. I didn't edit it. That was done perfectly. That sheep knows what it's doing. Sheer brilliant.